church. Uh, once again, we come and we are in the book of Matthew. We are starting Matthew 2 this week. And we will be in Matthew 2, verses 1 through 12. Matthew 2, verses 1 to 12. This is the word of the Lord. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, the wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw a star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them when the, t when the time the star had appeared. And he, sent to them to, and he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that had, they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Throughout history, as you may know, there have been kings. This is something that we don't really experience anymore. We're not living in a monarchy. But when a new king was born, when a queen gave birth to a son, there was much rejoicing. There was celebrating. It was important. It was an important event in the life of the country. And you would come and you would bring gifts even today we do something similar when someone is with child, when they're going to give birth, we come and we give them gifts. We have a baby shower. We give to them the things they need. Christmas for Christians is a special time of worship. They're celebrating the birth of their Savior. That Jesus, 2,000 years ago, was born of a virgin. God of the universe become man, Christ incarnate. Believers respond to the birth of Christ. Christians respond to the birth of Christ in worship. They make music, plan readings, preach sermons, give gifts. And we come and we see this familiar group here. One of the fixtures of our Christmas time, the Magi. But who were these Magi? Where did they come from? What is their role in this story? As we proceed through Matthew, as we see the story of Jesus, I want us to see three things. The Magi's news, first. 
Second, three wrong responses to this news. And finally, the correct response. When we think of the Magi, we think of that Christmas song, right? We three kings of Orient are. And inherently, we have some misconceptions. First off, there were not three of them. Nowhere does it say that there were three of them. It's much more likely that it was at least a dozen or more, a large enough group that traveled from the east that Herod would have taken notice of them. They were not kings. They were magi. They were counselors of kings. Daniel and his friends in the book of Daniel were considered magi. Other magi were there with their enemies. They battled against them. They are wise men, wise and learned men. They were educated men, seekers of truth. They were trained to counsel their kings. These magi we see here seem to be learned. They were noble. They were wealthy. But we also know of them that they saw a star. We're not sure exactly what this phenomenon was, this star. A comet, a constellation, a supernova. The divine working of God. We don't know the exact nature, but what we do know about it is that the Magi were people who studied the sky. Which makes them astrologers. Now when we think of astrology today, what do we think of? We think of, and I may be dating, well, maybe not dating myself. We think of Miss Cleo, right? Do anybody remember Miss Cleo, Miss Cleo and the commercials? Call Miss Cleo. She was Jamaican. I can't do it. And she'll tell you, tell you your future, right? Or we think of hor- horoscopes. I was about to say horoscopes, which is, I guess, about the same. But, and we think of, you know, what sign are you? And here, let me pr- give you a little prediction of the future. And the Bible is not favorable towards astrologers. Yet God chooses to speak to these stargazers through a star. God descends to the Magi's level to communicate with them. Let us not be misunderstood. These were pagan wise men serving pagan kings using a pagan practice of astrology. And yet God speaks to them. We can see a minor, or not minor, but take a moment for an application here. Christianity is not a a religion for good, holy people, but for sinners. God comes and speaks to these magi. He gives truth to these magi. He does the same for Christians. Here we have a beautiful picture of truth coming to those who you would least expect. And isn't that the gospel? That we who are the least who deserve the gospel receive the gospel. God called the Magi, these wise men, to travel a great distance. They may have had a resource like the book of Daniel. It is likely that these wise men came from Babylon or from Assyria, somewhere in that region of Babylon or Assyria. And they may have had the book of Daniel. They would have seen that Daniel talked about a royal deliverer. 
And they saw this mysterious star pointing, pointing towards Jerusalem. And so they followed it there. In essence, these pagan wise men who served pagan kings had the word of God. They saw it, they knew it. They saw it coming to, to be. And they believed it to be true. And the response to their belief was action. These are our wise men of the story. They see a star. They have a sign. And so they go. So then what are our responses to the news of the birth of Jesus? We see here four different responses. And first, I want us to see the three wrong responses. This is our second point. First here we have Herod. Herod is the king of Jerusalem. He is not actually a Jew, but he is king. And he gets wind of these wise men from the east. So who is Herod? Herod at this time was old. We know that after this story, uh, Joseph and Mary will flee to Egypt. And not long after that, Herod would die. We also know that he's paranoid. He executed his wife and three sons at one point. And this is just a tip of the iceberg of some of the things that he had done. His atrocities were great. But he is a truly baffling character. If he really believed the news of the Magi, that the Son of God had been born... And that he was born in Bethlehem, then he would know fighting it would be pointless. But if the Magi were wrong, then why even worry about it? But he was threatened. Astrology and its confirmation of rulers in the Roman Empire was somewhat accepted. This had gone so far to infiltrate Jewish thought and practice. If these magi from far away conferred kingship on Jesus, then maybe the people would believe it. Maybe the world would believe it. Therefore, he reasoned that he must take action. Herod's response to the birth of Jesus was to attack. Second, here we have the people of Jerusalem. First, we saw... That he was troubled. Herod was troubled. But next we see, so was all Jerusalem with him. This is verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. The reality is that Herod was a typical tyrant. He was quite talented in his fearlessness, in his vanity, in his cruelty, and his violence. If a tyrant is disturbed, everyone else is disturbed with him. You think of Germany during the time of Hitler. Hitler was a tyrant. How did Hitler deal with things he did not like? He had people killed. If Hitler was disturbed, I'm sure all people around him were disturbed. This is true with Herod, too. As Herod is disturbed, everyone was disturbed. We can understand the lack of enthusiasm of the people. 
Anxiety and fear had paralyzed them. Yet they were to, yet even so they were to await their deliverer. And they hear the word of this coming king. And yet all they can do is be troubled. Next we see the priest and the teachers of the law. Herod assembles them. The, the chief priests and the scribes were oftentimes at odds. Yet Herod reasons to himself, if these two groups can come to the same answer, then I'll know it's true. He called them together and asked, where is this Christ to be born? And both groups understood and knew scripture, didn't they? They knew the words of Micah, the words that we had just seen in our last study. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means among the rulers of, least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. These scribes, these high priests, these teachers of the law knew the word of God. When Herod came and asked the question, where is the king to be born? They both gave the same answer. He's to be born in Bethlehem. This is kind of ironic, isn't it? Because they come. They give an answer. They give the right answer. They, have, they had expert knowledge of this situation. They presented it to other people. But what did they do? Nothing. They went on their merry way, as it were. They knew the truth. And yet they did not respond to it. They did not act on it. If we know truth, then we must act on it. We can ignore it. We, or excuse me, we can't ignore it. We can't continue to live however we want. This is not just a passing by sort of thing. All, all Jewish people were expecting a Messiah. They knew what the Old Testament said about the Messiah. And here they have a clear sign of the Messiah. And they do nothing. They hear it, but it does not affect them. So then what is the correct response? This is our final point here. And this is where we will spend most of our time this morning. The correct response is the response of our pagan wise men serving pagan kings. We have the response of the Magi. When the Magi hear of the birth of Jesus, or not, I guess here via the star, when they see the star, when they connect it to the scriptures, they embark on a long trip. We know that as they went on this trip, they visited Herod. They end up coming to Jesus in a house. Note, not a manger. The wise men probably don't, or most definitely don't belong in our manger scene, as it were. It was probably, we know that Herod uh, will go on to say he wants to kill all boys two and under. It could have been as much as two years since the appearance of the star that it took him to get there. 
We're not exactly sure. That's somewhat speculative, but we know that they come. And when they arrive, their response to the king of kings is to bow in reverence. These pagan wise men serving pagan kings did not know everything about Jesus. They they had some knowledge of his coming, but they would not have known everything. But they come to him and they bow the knee. They give him honor and they give him gifts. We see here they give him three gifts. They give him gold and frankincense and myrrh. And many have tried to apply some prophetic meaning to these. But I don't think they choose them with, with prophecy in mind. They are brought with their understanding of court life. They know that he is a king. So they bring him expensive gifts. They bring him gold, the medal of kings, beautiful, rare, and expensive. They bring him frankincense, which was a glittering and fragrant gum taken from the bark of a rare tree. They bring him myrrh, which was another valuable spice, a bottle of which was equivalent to about $10,000 today. They brought the gifts worthy of a king. They know that Jesus is born a king, so they bring him kingly gifts. So then how do we apply these four responses today? I think these four responses are still the responses that we see to Jesus. When Jesus comes, there are these four responses. First is the response of Herod, the foe of God, the agent of Satan, the enemy of God. And we see this still today, that when Jesus confronts people, when God confronts people, people still respond in this, this way. They willingly fight against him. They trade, as it were, the truth for a lie. The motto of our day is what? Or at least I remember growing up, I guess I don't see it as much anymore, but commercials everywhere was the motto of Nike, which is what? Just do it. Or if it feels good, do it. Do the things which feel good to you. If you're tired of your wife, if you're tired of your husband, just get a divorce. Live for the now. Do what is good for you. If you're not getting enough money at work and you see a way to cheat the system, then cheat the system. You trade the truth for a lie. They combat God. We see this coming into the church. That we don't have to protect. That we don't have to keep doctrine pure. And we see the enemy of God working against him, seeking to destroy him. But we also see the response of the people, don't we? Yes, we have Herod, who's an enemy of God, but then we have... 
the response of the people who fear Herod. They fear what Herod will do to him. And I think this is a large portion of the church today. Yes, I believe in God. Yes, I know the signs of God. But what will be the consequences if I stand up for truth? I'm afraid of Herod. I'm afraid of the people who say that God is a lie. That God is not real. What if I'm at work and I stand up and say, no, we shouldn't do this. Because it's illegal. or We shouldn't do this. This is stealing. How will, will I get fired? What will be the response? Many people today are troubled by God because the world is troubled by God. They know that he's there. They know that he is real. But they respond in fear. They do not stand for truth. The scriptures tell us that we must not allow fear to govern our decisions. We must not let fear guide us. We are to not fear that which can destroy the body. We are to fear that which can destroy the soul. We are not to fear, fear this world, but we are to fear God. But I think we also see the chief priest and the scribes today. These are those with expert knowledge of the Bible. So much so that they can present it to others. But they don't use that knowledge for themselves. We think of people who dabble in Christianity. I remember when I was in seminary. I read this book, it was in a philosophy class called The Flight, I think it was called The Flight of Peter Frum, I think it was the name of it, I can't remember exactly the title of it, but the whole story was about a kid who went off to seminary, and this liberal seminary professor talks about how he slowly drew him away from the naive belief of his childhood. How he took him away from believing in Jesus and God to a place where he's completely undone. Where truth is not exactly what we believe it to be. He has all this knowledge. He could quote scripture and pray. And yet they don't use it for themselves. This is a dangerous place to be. And isn't it interesting in all of this that these pagan wise men, these pagan who serve pagan kings, become an example for us? They knew only one thing the king of the Jews had been born, the scribes had been had way more information than the Magi did. But the Magi acted on what they knew. They embarked on this journey. They brought him costly gifts. They came to him. They bowed down and they worshipped. 
This is the response that always must be to the God of the universe when He comes before you is to worship. They come giving gifts. We are to give of our very selves to our God. We should come with joy. We should come giving that which is most costly to us. These wise men didn't come giving small things. They gave precious and expensive things. We are to come before him, giving him gifts that are costly to us, and to worship and praise him. Isn't it odd that Matthew focuses on pagans who come to worship God? And in essence, Matthew says to us if, and to his readers, if the Jew will not honor Jesus, then the Gentile will. God is coming in a much different way, in essence, than he ever has. Yes, for a time he has dealt with his people, Israel, but they have turned from him. The, the priests and the scribes turn from him. They don't go seek him. But the Magi do. We see in Luke that he comes to shepherd. Shepherds, the lowliest of the people, not to the priest. They come giving gifts and they expect nothing in return but to worship him. Jesus did not give them a gift at the time. Jesus, as many people today would have us believe, does not give you back $2 for every $1 that you give to him. Many of the health and wealth preachers would have you believe this, that the more you give, the more you get. And this is not true. This is not reality. But the thing that, but God does give us something. Jesus does give us something. We see this in his incarnation, that he came to earth to reconcile us to our God. He dies on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. We do not know anything else about these magi. We don't know if they went back to where they came from and continued to worship their pagan gods. But we know that Jesus does give gifts to his people. He gives us the gift of his very self. He purchases for us the most valuable thing we can ever imagine. And we'll see as we go through the book of Matthew many parables. And we'll see the parable of the pearl of great price. And that you would sell all that you have so that you can gain this thing. It's of immeasurable value. This is what Jesus gives to us. He dies for us. Our response to Jesus' coming, to his living, to his dying, to his rising again from the dead, is to come to him as these pagan wise men did. We are to come and delight in worshiping him and giving gifts to him even as the Magi who gave of their, themselves and their resources 
We are to do the same when we evangelize, when we pray, when we teach, when we give offerings and all our service to God. In whatever way we are serving God, we are to give gifts to Him. Our gifts are to cost us something. And we are to give out of our love for God. So I will leave you with this question. You have heard, I'm sure, all your life of the news of the gospel. You have heard of Jesus. Why would you be here if you have not? What is your response to it? Do you come and seek to be an enemy of God? Like Herod. Do you come afraid to be bold for the gospel like the people? Do you come blind and deaf to the signs like the scribes? Or will you come like these pagan magi and worship him? Will you come like these pagan magi and give him gifts? And not mere gifts that are easy for you to give, but gifts that cost you something. This is the model that we have here before us. We are to come and worship, knowing what he has done for us. Brothers and sisters, this is my prayer. That we would indeed imitate these pagan magi, these pagan wise men. That we would see the truth. And that we would respond in worship. Let's pray. Dear most gracious Heavenly Father, we do not always understand your ways. We do not understand why you would use these men. But in it we see your goodness and greatness. We see your grace, not just for the Jew, but for the Gentile. May we see you, may we see your Son, and may we come and respond in worship. May we come and respond giving costly gifts we pray in Jesus holy name amen please stand as we